RunAsRadio.com. You're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell and Greg Hughes. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 128 with guest Buck Woody, recorded Friday, September 18th, 2009. Run As Radio is produced each week by Pwop Productions, providing professional media and podcasting services online at PWOP. You can follow the boys on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell. With me, as always, my co-host, Greg Hughes. Hey, Richard. How are you doing? I'm well, sir. Let's do another episode of Run As Radio. Uh, okay. What the heck? Yeah, no, sounds good. Always a fun thing to do. Let's get going on it. Are you married yet? No, well, uh... When is the show being published? Uh, in a couple of weeks. Uh, uh, October the tenth. That's the. So at this point, that's our that's our plan is October the tenth, and depending on when a couple of weeks is, I guess we're either pretty close to it or it just happened. Right. So it's right around this area. So you're losing your mind. Uh, it has been um, it's been interesting, and you know that because between our uh, our respective schedules and and the stress that I'm going through with a whole bunch of extra stuff, uh, it's been hard to get our schedules to align to do these recordings. Well, well, we find a way, and we're getting a bunch of shows done now, so uh, we'll keep the pipeline filled one way or the other. Yep, good stuff. I'm afraid when you're off on honeymoon, I may have to do a few solo shows, but we'll do what we have to do. Yep. All right, let's get to our guest. Buck Woody has been working in information technology since 1981, so that makes him old. Very old. He's been he's worked with the Air Force, uh, an IBM reseller, and NASA, as well as the U.S. Space Command as an IT contractor. Dude, you've done some cool jobs. I, I have. I have. Yeah. I've been very fortunate. And we chatted, what was it? Was it TechEd where we were talking about uh, uh, the whole concept of the SQL CMS? Yes, that's right. That's right. We did talk about that. That was down in Orlando, wasn't it? Some, yeah, something like that. No. It might have been. It might have been Orlando. I lose track. We do too many conferences. Keep, that's all. I think that's the only time we ever see each other is at conferences. I think so. Yeah, I, I have a bunch of conference buddies that I run into that we all see each other in the speaker room, and the only interaction we have is to glance up and briefly nod as we're working on the presentation that should have been finished two weeks ago that right. we're about to finish because we're giving it in ten minutes. And I remember you <laughs> telling me about SQL CMS. Yeah, and then we said, "Oh, we got to do a show on that." And then when we actually got ready to do the show, we got totally torn into the economy and and people's yeah. careers and so forth. Which I thought was a great discussion, but it wasn't actually the intended topic. Sure, sure. So today, I'd like to actually do that SQL CMS because I think it's a it's a really cool project. Yeah, I, I really enjoy it, and it's uh, it's gotten some traction. So we'll talk about that. So are you ready to get started now? You want to talk about that now, or do you want to shoot the breeze a little? Well, we'll digress later. Let's try and get into this because knowing us, we start digressing, we'll never it get Digression out. happens anyway. <laughs> oh, by the way, Greg, congratulations on getting married. You know, as the man says, uh, a man's not complete until he's married, and, you know, then he's finished. So you'll be in good shape. Nice. Uh, I've been married for 23 <laughs> years now. So That's awesome. Um, to my first wife. I would say that's oh. a, that, you know, that is a quote from Zsa Zsa Gabor. Who That's also right. said, I'm a great housekeeper. Whenever I get divorced, I keep the house. That's right. <laughs> I always introduce my wife as my first wife. I mean, she's my only wife, but I always introduce her that way. Just, you know, just to keep her on her toes. Right. Uh, after 23 years, she knows I got, I, I've got no options. So, you know, I'm pretty much here. 
<laughs> All right, so we have digressed now already. It's just we just started and we're already digressing. So we probably should get to the tech, right? Sure. Okay. <laughs> well, the SQL <laughs> CMS program that you and I had discussed was uh, interesting. You can find it up on CodePlex.com, which is a Microsoft sort of open source uh, type site. And the URL is SQL, that's S-Q-L, C-M-S, as in Charlie, uh, Mama, Sierra, whatever the acronyms are there. SQL C-M-S, it stands for Central Management System, dot codeplex.com, C-O-D-E-P-L-E-X dot C-O-M. And uh, basically the idea is this is an interesting project. Codeplex is normally a place where you store code, you know, like you've written T-SQL scripts or uh, C-sharp programs or whatever. Uh, this one's an interesting project because there's no code in it uh, really? at all. It, it's actually a methodology. And uh, the, the idea is that I see a lot of people out there that have systems spread out all over, and they're SQL uh, 2000, SQL 2005, SQL Server 2008, um, they've got Oracle maybe or MySQL running around out there. Uh, they've got a Windows system they're responsible for, maybe an FTP server or something that they also have to take care of. And uh, they don't have System Center, uh, potentially, uh, or they don't have a third-party tool where they're sort of managing and monitoring everything. And um, the third-party tools, you know, you grab them, you buy them, you install them, and they take care of everything for you. And, and if you don't have a lot of time, that's the way to go. Just buy the third-party tool, pop it up, and off you go. And you're talking about products like uh, Tivoli? Uh, Quest, uh, Spotlight on SQL Server is a great tool. Idera's got great tools. Tivoli's got great tools. Uh, System Center's a great tool. All of these are just fantastic products. But um, they either kind of force you into uh, extending them their way, yeah. or uh, a lot of times, especially with System Center, what I see, is that the DBA, the database administrator in specific, doesn't have access to that tool. Um, they're, they're not given a license or uh, it does things they don't really care about. Uh, as DBAs, we normally care about the sort of the horizontal view of all the SQL servers, not so much the vertical view of the server uh, or the database specifically for an app, the app, the middle tier. We, we normally don't get into that as much. So really what we care about is that all the servers with their databases stay up and running, uh, less so that a particular database and a particular middle tier. That's what the Tivoli's and the, and the system centers do very well. And I use system centers. It's a great, great product. But where I saw the need was that um, there's a lot of folks I know that have uh, you know custom scripts they've written and little uh, web pages they've designed that sort of uh, help them keep all the things they care about. For instance... Uh, within any of the products I've ever seen, I've never seen a place to put down who's on call. Have you ever have you ever seen that? No. So I mean, you know, the the system goes down. Who who do you call? And it's really not the the end user that's going to call the DBA. Uh, really, the network uh, admin or the NOC administrator or whatever. Those are the people that need to know who's on call for that database server. Because you know, when it gets down to that level of granularity, they they don't know. Especially when it's specialist databases, like yeah. Bob covers most of the databases, but those two over there, those are Phil's yeah, servers. Exactly, exactly. So, and, and, and so that's kind of the way this thing was sort of born. So if you go out to the SQLCMS.CodePlex.com site, you'll notice that what I explain is how to use the tools that you get sort of out of the box with SQL Server 2008 and how you could set up a system, a single system over in the corner 
that would manage and monitor all your other systems. And by manage and monitor, what I mean is that you know you could use it to run commands uh, and so on. Now, it's a little bit of manual wiring up, uh, and I kind of separate everything out into three big tasks, which is the sort of the polling and then the collecting and then the reacting and the reporting and so on. So, you know, these things are kind of manually wired, so it's not for the faint of heart. But the point is that it's made to be very modular so that you can slip things in and out. If you're a PowerShell fan, I've got that in there. If you're a Perl person or if you just use, uh, you know, SQL CMD a lot, uh, if you're SQL agent-centric or SSIS-centric, you can plug those things that you know how to do in any level there, uh, and it just basically will go out find all of your SQL servers, even the ones that are turned off. Uh, I've got a little code set up in there where you can do that. And then uh, it will register them in SQL Server Management Studio um, in, in that new SQL central management uh, server registration that we have. Right. So it puts them all in a single place. So every DBA from then on can hit that one server, and all the servers are just show up there. It shows you how to run group queries across those things so you can see if they're at the right service pack level, for instance, and so on. Mm-hmm. And then it actually keys off of another CodePlex project um, uh, called, um, it's from Laura Rebelke, and it's the Enterprise Policy Management Framework, EPM Framework. Yep. And basically all this is, really, is she's wired up, and Laura's a good friend. Have you guys had her on the radio yet? Have not had her on the show yet. Sounds oh, like I need, you need to. You need to get her on. She's a hoot. And uh, and she's just really bright and, and well-liked by her customers as well. So anyway, Laura put together this thing to where it uses the policy management, uh, uh, policy-based management feature in SQL Server 2008, right, right. which will run against SQL Server 2000 and 2005 and 2008 systems. Oh, okay. And what it will do is you say, for instance, all my instances need to have these settings. All my databases should be set to full unless they're you know, system databases or whatever. You set up the system the way you want to see it. Policy-based management will run out and check that for you. It'll even check if the backups ran today. And in certain cases, like especially for settings, you can click a button and it will fix them. So if a database is in simple mode and you want it to full, you click a button and it, and it you know, does thousands of servers at one time. But the the... Scheduling portion of that is SQL Server 2008 only. It's only based for SQL Server 2008. So what she's done is she's developed a set of um, scripts in, in PowerShell that you just drop into Agent and you set that up on a schedule. It will then run the policies that you want on the servers that you want that are registered in this central management server. So basically the process is like this. You just, you know, you might say to your DBAs, okay, when you get a new server, put it in here. When they put it in there, suddenly it will be covered by the policies that say the Uber DBA has put together and said, these are our company's best practices. And in fact, Microsoft ships you all of the best practices policies. Uh, They're actually available on the box on a 2008 system. What her thing does, the, the EPM framework, is it then runs an agent job that's scheduled which you normally can't do against 2000 and 2005, and right. you can monitor all of your systems to make sure they're in compliance. Wow. And then she's got a report that she, a series of reports that she's built in there that pulls up this big dashboard. And you look at the dashboard, and there's everything you need 
Uh, it tells you, you know, which ones failed, which ones passed, what percentage of the ones passed. What you, you click in, it'll show you exactly what went wrong. Now, when you're done, there's stuff you have to go do manually, right? But it's probably not a good idea to um, to set up manu- uh, automatic fixes anyway, right? I mean, that's usually a bad idea. So the point is, the the whole SQL CMS project is designed around a methodology, and I've got six or seven articles referenced there that I did over on informit.com where I write every week. Right. And uh, uh, I do that in addition to my day gig. <laughs> and uh, anyway, that that's uh, uh, pointing to those articles. And the articles explain how I put mine together. But but the people that, that got something else can certainly put theirs together in a different way, but using the same methodology. And that's really kind of the key. And the big thing about that is if you are using a system center or a Tivoli or whatever, it doesn't preclude you still using the SQL CMS. You can, you can take the SQL CMS and have it fill in the gaps for wherever your suggested solution, um, you know, isn't meeting your needs. And it can do things like setting up the SQL, the DBA on call and all that kind of stuff. Very cool. What interests me about this is that you you didn't write all this from scratch. You're using a lot of the tools that Microsoft provides. That's right. Everything's in the box or free. It, I, I, it feels to me like I could go through this and actually get a sense of what Maps will do for me and how to right. use PowerShell and how EPM would actually work. They did that. Right. It's really useful. That's a you get a picture of how to use each one of those tools as well. And that's what I find all the time. A good friend of mine, Bill Ramos, uh, have you had him on the radio as well? Haven't had him on, but I know him. Yeah, he's a great guy as well. Um, he gives a lot of presentations uh, similar to the ones I do. Um, as a matter of fact, we've given each other's presentations several times. Uh, but the, uh, he does a lot of productivity kind of presentations, which is kind of where I'm at. I'm, I'm sort of faced to, at the DBA. My, my shtick at Microsoft is the real-world DBA. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, right now I am backing up uh, two development systems that I just created this morning. Um, uh, so I still, I still eat the dog food. I'm still a DBA. But the point is that um, when we're going through this stuff, we find that people don't use. We've, we've actually done some calculations. People are using about 20% of what's in Management Studio. Uh, they're not using solutions and projects. Um, they're not using templates. They're not using bookmarks. They're not using the uh, the toolbar properly, believe it or not. Huh. Um, a lot of people don't know little little uh, sort of tricks and tips and things. So we show those, and it just makes me go zoom when I can show someone how to save time out of their day. Because as a DBA, that's what we need. Why is it that people are not using what you know eighty percent or so, such a large amount of the of the key functionality? Do you think is it is it a usability thing? Is it because is the glue that you've created to start connecting different things together, is that what makes it more usable? Or is there something else? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, you look at Word or Office, anything in Office, um, and I'll pull down these tips, you know, for Office. I, I write a lot, um, as I've mentioned. And, yeah. uh, you know, I pull down these tips and I find out, oh, my gosh, so, you know, I've been doing this thing by, you know how you do, you copy and paste and hold your nose and turn this way and flip that way and, and then it gets the font you want or whatever. And they're like, you know, there's a there's a keyboard shortcut for that, right? And you look at them and stare at them blankly and go, there is? And they look at you as if, why haven't you read the documentation? So I think it's it, the point is that we put so much into our tools. Microsoft is a platform company. We don't give you solutions like, um, say, a particular kind of software that just does something. We give you software that lets you do anything. So um, 
the, the, just the familiarity with the tools takes time, and, and most of us just don't have time. And I, I think that that's primarily it. And, it, you know, when I, when I talk to the DBAs and I show them these things, there's always the light in their eyes of thanks for that. And then they think, well, I bet there's a lot more that I don't know. And when I tell them, hey, there's a lot more in here, they go, yeah, I, I just don't have time. And I think it's difficult to carve out the time to get better at your craft, even though we're completely consciously aware that if we spend a little time now, if we invest a little time now not working and learning to use the tools, we'll actually work faster. So um, I, I think personally that's it. And I used to carve out in the morning a half hour at work uh, that I would just do not disturb. You know, basically, I know it's on fire. I mean, unless it's really and truly, you know, flaming and smoke is coming out of something physical and people are getting electrocuted when they touch it, don't bother me for this half hour because I'm going to go out and surf the web, look at blogs, look at tips, look at magazines, and I'm going to try to learn one new thing about what I use today. One new thing today, just one. Sure. And once I hit it, if, I'm, if I hit it before the 30 minutes is up, that goes in my OneNote, in my tips and tricks, in my OneNote, and I'm done for the day. And then tomorrow I do it again. But it's just really hard to carve out that time. I mean, what do you guys think? I mean, you've seen this too, I'm sure. Well, this is very Stephen Covey-esque, right? That whole four quadrants thing. And you've got one is your, your emergencies, the crises that you have to deal with all the time. And then uh, two is that more discretionary insurance time. And you're talking about making sure you take a little quadrant two time to sort of build up your repertoire so you have less one time. And, and exactly. it's the big difference between the two of those being, you know, one is always pressing on you and one never yep. presses on you. And if you right. don't actually carve out that time for yourself, you, A, you never get better. But right. you, you end up doing nothing but dealing from crisis to crisis to crisis. And when I, I've walked into shops that are like that, where mm-hmm. only thing on the whiteboard is today's panic. <laughs> and you know what? That, that's a very interesting – I've got a theory about whiteboards and sticky notes. So expound on that a little bit. Greg, you as well. Have you, have you guys walked into offices and seen uh, people with, with that, that are working computers? I mean, I live and breathe on my laptop, so it's literally the only thing I have open. If I have my laptop, I can do everything I need to do in the world. But I know some people that have whiteboards and stickies and stuff laying on their keyboards. Have you guys seen this before? Yeah, that's me. <laughs> and you know what? I think I know what that is. At least this is my theory. So I've got a pet theory. Um, I think that it's a, a gating factor. I think it's something that says this is physical and tangible, and I can move it to the top. And I would, I would believe that the people that have those probably have a ton of stuff in Word Notes or OneNote or whatever electronic you know, Outlook or whatever. They've got a ton of stuff in there, so much that they can't find it. And so these... The whiteboards and stuff become a physical representation where I know that that can only take that much space and I can set it up and knock it down. What do you guys think about that? I think it's also a visibility thing that it, there it is. You know, it, it helps create uh, order in the sense of that's the most important thing. It's physically visible there. Uh, right. I think it's very hard to prioritize stuff inside a machine. I mean, that being said, I couldn't do this show without OneNote. All of my notes about yeah. shows yeah. are in OneNote. Yeah, I do everything in OneNote as well. 
You know what it is for me, though, is, uh, I, this is, may sound strange, it's a little more practical. There's two times when I tend to write things down. One is if I'm on the phone. Right. Um, I prefer, I, I guess I just don't like to type and be on the phone at the same time too much. But the second one okay. is um, uh, carpal tunnel. So if I have, if my right wrist is hurting, um, mm-hmm. I just don't want to type if I don't have to. And so I start writing oh, that's things down. I hadn't thought about yeah. that. Yeah, so it's just a very practical thing, but you know, if it flares up, it comes and goes, and and uh, when it's up, I'm probably writing. Interesting. And I use OneNote that way, and I actually have a tablet. It's actually a very old tablet. It's an old compact T1100. Um, wow. Which, but I've got <laughs> Win Seven on it. It works great, and the handwriting cool. on it is killer. I mean, Win Seven has really awesome handwriting recognition. So I use OneNote like paper. And uh, my only problem with that thing right now is I'm going to have to go on eBay or deadcomputers.com or something and find some more batteries for it because I've just used it so much, the lithium, and it's just gone. So uh, it's not as useful as it could be right at the moment. But I I plan to buy some new batteries for that because the the key to that one is it's the old tablet form factor. It's not the swivel thing. It's a slate form factor. Yeah. It's slate. That's right. That's what I'm trying to say, the slate form factor. And... So it doesn't have a keyboard. You can snap it into a keyboard. But um, right. I don't know of many of the new um, sort of tablet PCs are arranged that way. They're kind of bulkier and bigger, and people just default to using them like a laptop. Yeah. But um, the other reason I like this little slate form factor is that on an airplane, uh, I'm, not, I'm not rich enough to fly first class or business class or anything. I'm back in the cattle section. And, um, you know, people lean back. You've got like two inches in front of your face. So you can't use a laptop because you can't flip the screen up. But this thing, you know, in my hand, holding it up, I can use it as a reader or the notes and so on. And uh, just like Greg was talking, I can use the natural writing uh, features in it to actually just write things down. And OneNote has the ability to turn handwriting back into typing. So I can literally write things that later need to be typed, and I don't have to retype them. Yeah, and even to be, you can even search your handwritten stuff. That's amazing to me that you can search... (laughs) <laughs> there's one version of it, apparently. I don't know if it's the newer release or whatever, but that I haven't played with this part because I don't use this that much. But a lot of people will do voice annotations into OneNote. Apparently, there's a way to search for that, which is bizarre. Yeah, I, you know, we talk about only using 20% of an app. I swear I'm using <laughs> 10% of what's in OneNote, especially in combination with a tablet. Uh, I carry uh, a motion computing LE 1700, which is also a tablet, and and uh-huh. it has a snap-in keyboard. But uh, you know, it is just it is tablet. You you know, I totally agree with you. It's all those same things. But they have they have directional microphones in them. There's all kinds of really smart capabilities oh, that goodness. you just don't know about. Well, you know, uh, yesterday, uh, yesterday the day before on my blog, which is blogs.msdn.com forward slash buckwoody, all one word, B-U-C-K-W-O-O-D-Y. If you'll go out there, uh, Richard, there's a blog entry I did that I found the other day, a bunch of free cheat sheets, uh, really pretty ones actually for free, on office products. And one of them was OneNote, so I pulled that one down. They're PDFs, so I pulled that one down, and it's got some really cool stuff in it. I had, uh, you know, you talk about that compact tablet, that slate. I had that very first silver-colored slate that compact came out. Was it 1100 yeah. or the 1000 with the crazy dock that it would slip into that weighed like yeah. 30 yeah. pounds and then the keyboard attachments. And uh, that was really a cool thing. I, you know, I used several tablets. I think I had five different tablets over, 
ever, starting with that one and then over the years and just sort of switching them out. I guess being the IT guy, you know, I got to try this stuff out first, but I haven't had one for a while. But after hearing you talk about Windows 7 on that old machine, uh, oh, I, I kind of want to get my hands on one again and give that a try. That's one of the things I haven't had a chance to use is the tablet features in Windows 7. Yeah, it's it's uh, interesting because the uh, the processor that's in those old T1100s, I don't remember what that was, but it's it's an emulated x86. I mean, this is really right. low end, and uh, we have access at Microsoft to the um, uh, Enterprise 7 builds, and and there, I don't have access to sort of build from the network uh, any other SKUs or anything. So I went ahead and put Enterprise on that thing, and it's running, and it and it runs okay. I mean, it's not it's not going to win any land speed records, but it's completely usable. I actually went ahead and put uh, Linux on it for a while, Ubuntu, to see if it would work any faster. And you know, it doesn't. It's it's about the same speed as the. Now that just might mean they're both really slow. I don't know, but but it, the the Win Seven works great on this thing, and the handwriting is killer. And I use it almost exclusively for OneNote, uh, for mail, and then for book reading. I've got eBooks. Uh, on my on my tablet, just PDFs, and I read them that way on the bus or on the on the train or the uh, airplane when I fly. Yeah, I wonder if one of the unintended consequences of Windows Seven is going to be uh, keeping old hardware alive longer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we um, I think we've built an industry that's quite used to replacing computers every eighteen months or so, and and that first started breaking down in like two thousand one when the when the uh, dot com bomb hit. But uh, more and more, we're seeing that hardware is not getting faster, and so there's really no reason to replace it. Right, and and for most people, it's good enough, right? I mean, it's it's uh, the things they have are, are good enough. I've always found it to be interesting that um, my uh, my servers, the ones I just built, are not as powerful as my testing system, uh, which is you know just this little Dell Super Workstation I've got here next to my desk now. The Dell Super Workstation I've got here next to my desk is not redundant in any way. Uh, the drives aren't as fast, but the processor and memory is actually faster than my servers. And it's just interesting that you always do see that outstripping. You know, we don't replace our servers very often uh, right. because of that. Yeah, and I think we're generally we're seeing that sort of stability happening more and more and more. Jumping right. back on a SQL CMS bandwagon a little bit, uh, how yeah. is the security scenario, privileges scenario for all of this? Because it, it feels very spooky that I build one machine and then reach into every SQL server in the network. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, the key here is that because it's modular-based, um, you know, you're going to have whatever security you have today. Right. You don't get any more than you normally have. I'm not a big proponent of saving passwords or whatever, so I always use Windows authentication yeah. Um, yeah, when definitely. I can. Uh, now, I, I can, with this system, with the SQL CMS, you could theoretically uh, reach out and control Unix systems if you wanted to. I mean, you, you'd, it would have to be automated, and it may be the things that you're already doing today. It's just now you're going to throw them all on one box so that there's sort of a central, consolidated, consistent way of doing that. Um, but you, you're not going to have any more security than you normally have. And, and I do mention in there, it's, it's not a good idea to save passwords and files or, or things. I just think that's a bad idea. Um, so I wouldn't go any further than you normally can. Um, when I do have to reach across to a Unix box, uh, I, I try to find out. I've been able to do this a couple times, not always, uh, but I use a certificate. And that way, um, the certificate's bound to me. Uh, when I run the script, 
uh, and let's say, and you run the script from the central box, we still have our, we retain our unique identities. And, right. and I think that's the right way to think about the security. But you don't have any more than you have today. It's the same kind of thing when I show people PowerShell and I start navigating through the uh, database as if it's a drive letter. Everybody immediately asks me, well, what's the security like here? Well, it's, it's SMO, it's the server management objects. So it's exactly the same thing you have in Management Studio. Whatever you have there, you have in PowerShell. And, and the same thing goes for the CMS. So clarify, talk again about, this is interesting, the idea of reaching out to different types of systems, not just the Microsoft stuff. So, you know, I mean, I've worked in a lot of shops that have all different types of you know, usually a lot of Linux, some Linux, uh, a lot of Solaris, and a lot of Windows is usually what it ends up being. So go into a little more detail about what information am I pulling, what am I able to do here, what, I mean, let's talk about some of the, the end benefits that I get out of that. Sure. So there's the natural stuff though, that I show in the SQL CMS, like running the management data warehouse that comes with SQL 2008 that will right. do some very rich tracking of SQL 2008 systems. Um, but, you know, you, you want more than that, right? And the idea here, it really isn't that earth-shattering. Basically, it's a central database that you collect data from somewhere, stuff that in the database, and then you write reports over the top of it. Or if you're not a reporting, and I even show you how to write really simple reports without digging into the business information development studio. You use really simple tools. But the point is then you've got a single box where you look on the web page to see the results of what you've collected. Now, what you collect can be anything. And I talk a little bit about that. I use the MDW, the Management Data Warehouse database myself, but I show how you can use any. It doesn't matter what the database really is. So when I'm on my Linux systems, let's take that, uh, for instance, maybe I'll run a PS or something like that on the Linux system, and I'm grabbing some stats each day, and I'm throwing those down into a comma-separated file on that box. And then what I do is on my central system, I have a sweeper tasks that goes and does a tiny FTP, a TFTP, and grabs those files off of a secure location, and then turns around and does a BCP, a bulk copy program, or an SSIS package, or just a PowerShell that reads the file and then does an insert into the MDW. I have a report that is waiting for that data, and it will grab and show me trending on things like CPU utilization, disk utilization, um, memory utilization, uh, user changes, whatever you collect today. You can collect anything you want. And that's kind of the difference between this and, say, a Tivoli or a uh, system center, is it's kind of a, a you decide. So, so it's more hand-wired, uh, for sure, but it's exactly what you want. I guess it's the difference between buying a house and building one, I suppose. Okay, good. So, so to recover that, basically my point is that I have a cron job on each system that runs independently of this entire system and throws the files down locally. That's what I do on every system. From there, I have another job that pulls that data into the CMS. So, so the point is that they can stay independent. So if I've got a Unix admin that's watching the boxes, I just tell them it'd be great if I could get this data into one place. They usually have something going anyway, so they throw it down for me in this format, in this location. I just sweep around and pick it up. So it's very uh, modular, if you will and allows me to uh, do a distributed environment to where there's, there's no, I, I don't want the SQL CMS system to become this huge pulling mechanism to where it goes and evaluates each server. I don't like that. 
I like for each server to do its own thing and then let the CMS know what it did. So that's kind of the way I'm using it. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. No, that's it's really pretty cool. So I mean, there's all you have the that you know put these different pieces together and put some and you know kind of glue it all together to give you a system. But uh, well, I think what I really appreciate is kind of the philosophy behind the reason for doing this. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's a, and there's a couple angles on this. I mean, obviously, there's the uh, I want to save the cost and licenses and and the general issues around buying this large scale management products. But mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. Oh, there's also this is a great exercise in understanding the management yeah. tools that are available to you inside of that. Agreed suite of secret server stuff there's so few people who even know about the the accelerators that are on technet right right and and here's the key to that the neat thing is let's say today my darling is uh, pearl and i just love pearl i think it's awesome and all the rest and um then i decide later you know this this powershell thing's actually got some actually got some legs here I can, with PowerShell, I can talk to not only SQL, but Oracle, and it looks like I can also talk to the Windows event logs, and I can ask the WMI provider how much drive space. Wow, I'd like to put all that together and look for the word error, E-R-R-O-R, in Oracle, SQL, Windows, Exchange, and whatever else, and put that as a red flag somewhere. That'd be great. So if I've written that all in Perl before... And now I want to change it out. As long as the inputs and outputs remain the same, if you keep it modular like I've described, any piece can be you know, swapped with something else later if that's your, if that's your thing. Um, and then there you have it. And you know, the funny thing is I actually back up the scripts as text, and I, I store those in the MDW. <laughs> I haven't blogged about this yet, but I actually store those um, in a, 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 a VAR, uh, you know, VAR character max. And I actually put that of our car max. I actually put that in the database, so I'm actually backing up the system and how it works when I back up the database. I awesome. can rebuild it anywhere I go. Yeah, very compelling. And you, like I said, you've now slipped that into your main infrastructure, so that it's maintainable as well. Exactly. Buck, I think we're just about out of time. Any final words? Oh man, I'm just uh, I'm loving life. I just got done doing the um, um, uh, SQL Server Worldwide User Group conference, oh, yeah. virtual conference that they do. That's going to be held in October, and uh, that was a lot of fun. Uh, Donald Farmer was down there. Whole bunch of other folks. If you can't get out to a sort of an in-person conference, make sure you look these kinds of things up. Um, they're real inexpensive. Uh, you ask your boss, hey, look, you don't have to fly me anywhere. Um, you know, but if you would, can I get half day? These things are normally half day. The one from Swug is, uh, and then there's others as well. But the point is, if you give me a half day and about two, three hundred bucks, um, I get to go to a conference and learn all this cool stuff, but I don't have to go anywhere and you don't have to pay for a plane flight and a hotel room and, and food and all that. Right. And uh, usually they're jumping all over that. So if you get a chance, make sure you check out some of those virtual conferences that are around. Awesome. Buck Woody, thanks so much for coming on the show again. Thanks, Buck. Love it. And we'll talk to you next week on Run As Radio. Radio.